Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the criminal trial stemming from the tragic death of Ahmaud Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan, and was eventually shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. With verdicts of guilty rendered against the three defendants, we continue our complete coverage of the trial from gavel to gavel. In our last episode, we concluded our examination of the defense team's closing arguments. In this episode, we begin our look at Prosecutor Linda Dunikowski's rebuttal closing. That's coming up after the break. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In Prosecutor Dunikowski's rebuttal, she rehashes many of the legal concepts that she laid out in her opening. However, this time, she does so while repeatedly pointing out many of the flaws in the defense arguments. Donikowski seems to have approached this jury as a group who would pay careful attention to the judge's instructions and take seriously their responsibility to apply the law to the facts in the case. We are going to go through the prosecutor's rebuttal in great detail because, in retrospect, We believe that Dunikowski read this jury very well and used this rebuttal to nail down the convictions against the three defendants. Dunikowski begins her rebuttal with an examination of the concept of reasonable doubt. So the burden is on the state to prove this to you beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, Ms. Laura Hogue got up here yesterday and said, you have to be certain that's not true. What it is, is it's the doubt of a fair-minded and impartial juror honestly seeking the truth, not seeking doubt, not beyond all doubt or to a mathematical certainty. And that's what the judge is going to charge you. Okay. All right. It's just beyond a reasonable doubt. The doubt of a fair-minded and impartial juror honestly seeking the truth, not seeking doubt, not beyond doubt or to a mathematical certainty. That's what the judge is going to charge you. Dunikowski next pivots to her examination of the concept of affirmative defense. Now, in this case, the defendants have raised an affirmative defense. And what does that mean? An affirmative defense means, hey, even if you think we really did these things, because the evidence is sufficient to say, yes, we did do these things, the four felonies in the indictment and the murder, hey, we have an affirmative defense which justifies us doing that. For the murder, it's self-defense. For the other charges, it's citizen's arrest. So here's the thing. You find they didn't commit a citizen's arrest. That's not what they were doing under the law. They didn't meet the criteria. Okay, I wanna remind you guys, ignorance of the law is no excuse. It's not like, well, they were probably mistaken. Uh Uh-uh, you can't be mistaken about the law. If you're gonna take the law into your own hands, you better know what the law is. So if you find they were not doing a citizen's arrest, under the legal standard, okay, the judge is going to give you, well, then it takes it out of self-defense for the homicide 
And that means they're guilty on all the charges. It's as simple as that. Now Dunikowski moves on to the charges against the defendants. Here she begins to intensify her dissection of the defense attorney's arguments on behalf of their clients, or in the case of Travis McMichael, the defendant's own testimony. So count one, malice murder. Remember, premeditation is not required and the state is not required to prove motive, all right? You may find malice when there does not appear to be significant provocation and all the circumstances show an abandoned and malignant heart. Okay, I wanna be real clear. The state is not saying that Greg and Travis McMichael ran out of the house to go murder somebody right then and there. We all know that's not how it works, right? Okay, what happens? Let's give you an example. I'll, I'll make up an example. She's leaving him, right? They're getting a divorce and she's there to pack up her stuff, okay? He's not at the house to murder her, right? No, but what happens? She's packing up the stuff, they start arguing, they start bickering, then it starts into shoving, then it's, if I can't have you, nobody can have you. She's thinking, oh my God, he's an idiot. She's taking the stuff out of the car. He goes up and kills her. Shoots her with the gun. Okay, it started out one thing and it escalated and escalated and escalated. That's how you get to the murder. So don't be fooled. Okay, the state's not saying they left the house to go murder Ahmaud Arbery. What happened? They left the house to go investigate, right? Stop, we wanna to talk to you. Where are you coming from? What did you do? What's going on, right? And then what happened? Mr. Arbery ignored them, okay? He took off running. He wouldn't do what they were commanding him to do. He wasn't obeying their orders. Why? Well, under the Constitution of the United States, he didn't have to do anything except walk away. In this case, he ran away. And they chased him. They backed up on him, and then they followed him down Burford. You saw the night out video repeatedly yesterday when Mr. Goff was here. At that point, I mean, let's face it, to Travis and Greg McMichael, that was a big go jump in the lake. I'll use polite language. I mean, wasn't it? Here they are, ex-law enforcement, Coast Guard. We're demanding that you stop and talk to us. We have questions. Stop, stop right there, talk to us. And he ignores them, basically telling them, yeah, I'm not doing it. And it starts escalating. They start getting mad. Oh yeah? And then all of a sudden, Brian pulls out. Then it's like, oh yeah, we'll go around and we'll cut him off over here. We'll go get him. Now they want to get him. Now they want to stop him because they're mad at him. He has totally ignored them and run away from them. And how dare he do that to these two people, okay? What right did they have to stop Ahmaud Arbery? What right did they have to go ahead and demand a fellow citizen stop and talk to them and then use pickup trucks to try and cut him off and force him to be detained right there on Burford? None whatsoever. So when we're talking about malice murder, we are talking about the fact that this can happen. And the judge is gonna charge you on this no specific length of time is required for malice to arise in the defendant's mind. Malice may be formed in a moment, and instantly a fatal wound may be inflicted. Now you see malice? Well, you can consider it as reckless disregard for human life. You bring your 12-gauge pump shotgun with you, ready to fire. You point it at a man you know is unarmed. 
I mean, you think they couldn't tell with those baggy shorts that he didn't have a gun on him? Who's being forced toward you by Mr. Bryan and his black Silverado, and then you go ahead and intercept him and pull the trigger without a thought. Abandon a malignant heart, reckless disregard for human life. Donikowski shows the jury two freeze-frame stills from William Bryan's video. In the first, Ahmad Arbery falls to the pavement as Travis McMichael turns his back on Mr. Arbery and walks away holding his shotgun. In that still, we can see Greg McMichael descending from the bed of the pickup truck. In the second still, we see Greg McMichael approach his son. Both men are holding their weapons. Greg McMichael and Travis McMichael are acting together in concert in the truck. Their actions are all together. They're parties to the crime. Even though Greg McMichael is in the back of that pickup truck on that 911 call, when Travis pulls this trigger, he is still responsible because he's a party to this crime. Because without Greg McMichael, this would never have happened. Donikowski moves on to rebut the defense team's arguments on felony murder. Now, felony murder, once again, is based on the four felonies. Now, felony murder is you're committing a felony. There's no intent to go ahead and kill the person. But because you're committing that felony, someone dies. Okay, let's not be fooled. We're not talking about but for his parents getting married. That is, that's the red herring. What are we talking about, ladies and gentlemen? But for the felony. Okay, that's the thinking but for the criminal attempt at false imprisonment, but for the false imprisonment, but for the aggravated <clears throat> assault with the motor vehicles, but for the aggravated assault with the shotgun, you wouldn't be dead. That's how you think about it. Look at these crimes and ask yourself, okay, if we take that out, would he be alive? It's real simple. The answer is you can't take out any of these crimes. You take out any one of these crimes that they committed, and he's still alive. All of the underlying felonies played a substantial and necessary part in causing the death of Ahmad Arbery. What do we have? Aggravated assault with a shotgun. Pretty simple. The aggravated assault was continuous. Started with pulling that shotgun up. Ahmad Arbery was 30 to 40 yards away. Not an imminent threat at all. And what did it do? It ended with the pulling of the trigger. Shotgun blast here. The pellets right here. Did that felony contribute? Of course it did. It's the cause of his death. <clears throat> Aggravated assault with pickup trucks. I want to be real clear about this. You do not have to hit the person with the pickup truck. The judge is going to charge you that actual injury to the alleged victim need not be shown. What has to be shown? Donikowski here reads from a card that defines aggravated assault. Were the defendant's actions such that it placed Ahmaud Arbery in reasonable fear of immediately receiving a violent injury? What did Mr. Bryan do? He actually ran him into a ditch. Check. I mean, Mr. Bryan right now, aggravated assault with his motor vehicle, check, felony murder, check. Because this contributed to his death. This played a substantial part because it put Mr. Arbery in reasonable fear of Mr. Bryan and that truck. So what do we know? We know that Mr. Arbery was running back up homes when Mr. Bryan came back down and he had to turn around at that blue mailbox. We don't see him turn around. 
But see how far he is at that blue mailbox? And he heads back toward the white truck. If he wasn't already in fear of Mr. Bryan and his Silverado, would he still be alive? Yes. But because of what happened over on Burford, because of the criminal attempt at false imprisonment and this aggravated assault, Mr. Arbery's in. False imprisonment. You violate the personal liberty of Ahmad Arbery. You unlawfully confine and detain him. Well, how do you do that? Well, you chase him down with a Ford F-150 or a Silverado. And they did confine and detain him on homes. Dunikowski puts a map of the Satilla Shores neighborhood on an easel. And as she speaks, she waves a pointer at the route Ahmad Arbery had to take. What did Travis McMichael tell the police? I stopped a few houses down, got out of my truck and shouted at him, stop, stop. Now he denied it on the stand, but that's what he told the police in his written statement, the one he had an hour to fill out, right? So Mr. Arbery got this far and had to turn back around. Then he goes back this way. Then he has to go back down this way because now he's turned around. Now he has to come back this way once Mr. Bryan turns around. He went up and down this street at least four times. Dunikowski slaps her leg for emphasis. I mean, come on, confined and detained on homes. That's false imprisonment. Up and down four different times right there. The prosecutor moves on to rebut the defense arguments regarding the charges of criminal attempt at false imprisonment. Criminal attempt. You saw the night out video. You saw how fast they took off after him. I mean, Greg Michael Jalen cut him off, cut him off, cut him off. Travis denies that he did anything to cut off Mr. Arbery. Doesn't even say he pulled in front of Mr. Arbery. But for some reason, Mr. Arbery turns around and runs back. You decide what to believe. But what was he trying to do? What was his intent? He told you what his intent was. Our intent was to stop him. Can't stop somebody. United States of America, okay? People are free here. They had no authority to demand that he stop. And they're yelling at him, stop, we want to talk to you. And he's running away. That's the criminal attempt by the McMichaels on Burford. Now, of course, we know the criminal attempt at false imprisonment on Mr. Bryan. He pulled out, pushed him, you know, shoved him, did whatever, got him into a ditch. Those actions on Burford, did it put Ahmaud Arbery in reasonable fear of receiving bodily harm? Yes. So now what's he doing? He's running away from them. For five minutes, he's running away from them. If they hadn't put him in reasonable fear of receiving serious bodily harm so that he ran away from them, would he be dead? The answer is no. Therefore, that substantially contributed to his death. Because why? All right. Where did he go? He went up homes. Dunikowski next takes a shot at Kevin Goff's argument that there was no causal connection between William Bryan's actions and the killing of Mr. Arbery. Now, this whole thing of, oh, well, the reason he didn't really run out this way is Mr. Albenzi was down there with a gun. Nobody has x-ray vision. Mr. Albenzi had the gun in the pocket of his overalls, okay? And what do we know Mr. Albenzi did after all this? He went home. Remember? He walks back and he goes on home. So this idea that Ahmad isn't going to run this way because Mr. Albenzi is out there, we don't know what's in the mind of Ahmad Arbery, not at all. But what did Mr. Bryan do? Well, Mr. Bryan got in front of him and then went to back up at him, and that's when he turned up homes. Those are the words of Mr. Bryan. I pulled in front of him, I backed up at him, and that's when he turned up homes. Therefore, the criminal attempt of false imprisonment substantially contributed to the felony murder. 
Based on that alone, ladies and gentlemen, criminal attempted false imprisonment, guilty. Felony murder for that on all of them. Mr. Bryan included, and McMichaels, guilty on felony murder. So, but for his actions, would Ahmad still be alive? If he had not helped to stop Ahmad with his Silverado, would Ahmad still be alive? The answer is, yes, he would have been. Mr. Bryan played a substantial and necessary part in causing his death. He is responsible for the murder of Ahmad Arbery. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Prosecutor Linda Dunikowski next takes the jury through her rebuttal to the defense arguments that their client's actions were justified as self-defense. All right, so that brings us to self-defense. All right, I'm just going to go over this quickly. I want you to know what the basics are, the essentials, okay? Because self-defense really applies to the aggravated assault with the shotgun, okay, and the murder charges. So what have we got? One can use lethal force in self-defense, but only under certain circumstances. You can't claim self-defense if you are the unjustified initial aggressor, meaning if you started it. Who started this? It wasn't Ahmaud Arbery. You're committing a felony against that person. Once again, we're back to our convenience store armed robber. He doesn't get to defend himself against the clerk he's robbing. He doesn't get to claim self-defense. He's committing a felony. In this case, they committed four different felonies including the aggravated assault with the shotgun. They started it. They do not get to claim self-defense. And then, of course, provocation. You can't force someone to defend themselves against you, so you get to claim self-defense. This isn't the Wild West. No. So there's three instances where the defendants don't get to claim self-defense, and they committed all of them. So once again, initially provokes the use of force against himself with the intent to use such force as an excuse. No Wild West. This is the important one. Cannot commit aggravated assault with a shotgun, with trucks, false imprisonment, or criminal attempt at false imprisonment. Any of those. Not justified in using force. If you're doing any of those things, they were doing all four of them. And you're not justified in using force if that person was the unjustified aggressor. You can't start it and claim self-defense. And they started this with their driveway decisions. So here's some main concepts. The defendants had to believe the deadly force was necessary. There were no other alternatives. Point a shotgun at somebody. There were a whole bunch of other alternatives to that. That belief must be reasonable. And once again, that's reasonable for everybody. That reasonableness applies to you. That reasonableness, there's no special exception for previous training in the Coast Guard or law enforcement 
The reasonableness standard in Georgia applies to everyone equally. The danger to yourself has to be imminent, meaning I am about to get killed, not some guy I've been chasing for five minutes is running at me. Can't use excessive force. The minute it's excessive, self-defense goes out the window. The defendant's reasonable belief must be what prompts him to use force. What prompted Travis McMichael to pull up that shotgun? He wanted him to stop. He was trying to get him to stop. Oh yeah, you're not gonna stop for me and my dad? Up comes the shotgun, now you're gonna stop. Okay, you're not gonna stop, you're gonna go around the truck, that's fine. He goes to intercept him. He's not afraid. He moved toward Mr. Arbery. He moved toward Mr. Arbery with the gun. He's not afraid. You gotta act out of fear. You can't be acting out of anger. That this guy won't stop and talk to you and won't obey your commands. Okay. What was there to be afraid of? Well, let's see, Ahmad was wearing a t-shirt and cargo shorts that were so baggy, he has this big belt loop out here. Let's see, what else? Didn't have a bag or a backpack. So, yeah, doesn't have anything that he's carrying. He was running with his hands empty at his sides. <clears throat> Ran away from them for five minutes. Did not have any weapon, nothing on him. Didn't say one word to them. Didn't threaten them verbally. Didn't say, oh yeah. Didn't say anything, and he had no help from anyone. So what's there to be afraid of? I mean, you can have the stills back there. We printed some of them out. That shotgun is pointed right at him, right at him, okay? So when he gave the police that story about, oh, is it Port Arms? And he was striking me and hitting me and striking me and hitting me, and I finally, you know, had to do this. That's what he told the police, a bunch of lies, shotgun, Shadow right here. Dunikowski points to the shadow of Travis McMichael's shotgun under his truck. The image appears to show that the shotgun is pointed up at Mr. Arbery. Here's the other thing, ladies and gentlemen. Lawyers aren't good at math. Don't trust you guys are. What did the ME say? This arm on a Mod Arbery was 26 inches. This arm on a Mod Arbery was 25 inches. And the barrel of that shotgun is over 28 inches. Do the math. Did he hit him? Did he punch him? Did he strike him? When the shotgun's like this? Easy. Do the math. This is what Travis McMichael did. There's no fear here. There's only anger. Remember, it's a standard of reasonable beliefs that the force used is necessary. Do you really believe he had no other choice but to use his shotgun? Is that what you really believe? No other choice. What are the alternatives? Well, the first alternative is don't start this. I'm gonna tell you something. My husband, he uh, he always uh, tells this to our three nephews, David, Ben, and Sam. And what he says is, there's some rules for life. You know what those rules are? Don't go looking for trouble because you will find it and it is not gonna turn out the way you think it is. What he's really saying to them is, don't be that guy who starts the bar fight and goes, go out, let's go out in the parking lot. That's what he's really saying to them. But it's, it's a life rule. You go looking for trouble and what's gonna happen? So don't leave the house. Here's an alternative, call the police. Don't chase down strangers 
to confront them. Don't go after pedestrians in your truck. I mean, common sense tells you, you pull up in a truck on somebody who's like a pedestrian who's out for a jog. I mean, I don't know, are any of you runners? You ever had a strange truck pull up that has some people start yelling at you? Would that startle you? I, I don't know. We don't know what was in the mind of Maude Arbery. But, I mean, what do you think? Did it cause some fear for him? These strange men pulling up in this truck and then not relenting and not backing off? This was three on one. How about some empathy? Remember leaps? Listen? Empathize? Dunnikowski here uses Jason Sheffield's extensive questioning of Travis McMichael about his own training against the defense. Where's Travis McMichael's empathy? Where's Greg McMichael's empathy? Where do they go? You know, wow, I wonder what I'm doing to this other person. I wonder what it looks like from their point of view. I wonder if we might be scaring or startling this person. I wonder if it may be so bad that they might react in a negative way. Where's the empathy? How about don't bring a shotgun with you? This is really easy. Call the police. Because what did Officer Rash want? Remember Officer Rash? He said they want, he wanted them to be witnesses. I mean, so call the police. Follow behind Mr. Arbery at that two miles an hour. Where's he gonna go? They could have followed him all the way back to Fancy Bluff and Boykin Ridge. On the phone going, he's turning left. He's turning right. Ooh, okay. That was a real easy choice, but did they choose to do that? No, they confronted him. They chose to confront him. They didn't need to, they didn't have to. I mean, they could have followed him. I mean, he's a jogger. How fast is he going? Don't point a shotgun at people, unless you're gonna kill him. Don't point a shotgun at people unless you're gonna kill him. How do we know he intended to kill him? He pointed a shotgun at him. How about you stay on the driver's side of the truck? Don't go around to the front of the truck. Real easy. That concludes this episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery. On our next episode, we continue our examination of Prosecutor Linda Dunikowski's rebuttal closing argument as she dissects the defense arguments that their clients were engaged in attempting a lawful citizen's arrest. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Trial Audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. 
Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery.